turn to uh, Amos, please. Amos chapter 3. Bless the Lord in prayer. Precious Father, we thank you today that as believers we have a great and mighty and powerful God. A God who's seated in the heavens, but also a God who is ever present with us, who cares for us, who sent his son to die for us, and who each day guides our steps and we pray that father you'd help us today now as we come around your word to have our hearts attentive to your word and our thoughts father god that we turn unto you and that lord we would learn from your word today that we might receive from you that which you have for us lord we know that your word was given unto us for our understanding and our learning we pray that today we would understand it we'd learn from it lord god that you'd receive all the praise and all the glory Lord, as always, uh, as a preacher, we're ever aware of the fact that, Father, what we need is for you to take us and hide us behind the cross of Calvary, to empower us with the power of the spirits and enable us to preach your word. And I pray that, Father, today, indeed, take me and use me, that I might be a blessing. Just guide now, Father God, as we look into your word, may you receive all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, certain actions on our behalf always elicit certain responses from God. For instance, you know, God is pleased when you and I make much of his Son. He is pleased when we worship him in spirit and in truth, when we worship him in sincerity, with sincere and obedient hearts. He always blesses his word. He is pleased when we offer ourselves as living sacrifices holy and acceptable under God, just to name a few. But there are also times when we do things which do not bring a favorable response from God, but bring an unfavorable response from God. And God's message to Israel by the prophet Amos illustrates this for us. Here God lists some of the areas in which Israel had sinned against God and thus invoking from God an unfavorable response. They displeased him, and therefore he was about to judge them. And each of these challenges, each of these indications of their sin, indeed stand as a challenge, an example to each of us. And we started last week to consider the introduction to God's message of judgment against Israel, and we said that there are, were two truths by which, by way of introduction, that demonstrates the truth of Amos 3.3, which says, can two walk together except they be agreed, or unless they be agreed. And we consider the first of these truths last week. We said that Israel did not walk with God because they sinned against privilege. And we noted they were privileged for two reasons. They were privileged because God delivered them from bondage out of Egypt, and they were privileged because the nation had a special relationship with God. Now today we know that Israel did not walk together with God, not only because they were sinned against privilege, but because they sinned against God's special calling 
or they sinned against position. They sinned against privilege. Now today they sinned against position. In verse 2 we read this, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. I want you to consider with me this morning just two things. Israel's special calling or special position and the result of their sin against that calling. So know first of all Israel's special position. It says here in verse 2 that God knew them in a special way. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Now all the families of the earth or all the nations of mankind uh, are known to God. All the inhabitants of the earth are known to God. Everybody that lives, everyone that exists, everyone that has lived, everyone that will live, God knows them because God is omniscient. And so he knows them. But none has been known by God as this family, the family of Israel, has been known by God. No nation has been loved by God like the nation of Israel has been loved to that point in time. No nation has experienced the affection of God as that nation has experienced at that time. No family has experienced the love and affection of God as the nation of Israel had known. They were distinguished by his favors and his blessings, both temporal and spiritual. Besides the land of Canaan and all the good things that came with that land, the milk and honey and the, the beautiful grapes of Eskel and so on, all the beauties and wonders of, of Canaan and all those wonderful things that God gave them, they had the law of the Lord. They had his word. They had his worship. They had his ordinances. And he chose them for himself above all people. Notice the word, you only. You only. Of all the nations of the world, of all the families of the world, of all the peoples of the world, you only he says and then nobody says he says you only have i known of all the families of the earth there was no family like this family that he gave particular marks of affection to there was no family like this family to who he'd given special instances of his goodness to truly god knew them in a special way the word new here in verse 2 carries the idea of an intimate relationship with them. This is more than God just knew them because, as we said, God's omniscient and he knows all things. But this is that God knew them in a special way. They had an intimate relationship with each other. God had chosen them as his special people and therefore he knew them. They were, uh, were unique from all the nations of the world. From Abraham on, God had chosen them out of the families of the world to be his special people. They were the apple of his eye. They were his people. They were the people that he'd vowed to protect, the people he'd vowed to, to take care of, the people he'd vowed to provide for. So they not only sinned against privilege, but they sinned against God's special calling on their lives. They sinned against God's privileged position that they had. He knew them unlike he'd known any other nation of the world. You know, God had appeared to Abraham and Moses and the other fathers of Israel. He was present in the tabernacle. He was present in the temple. He had personally given them the Ten Commandments. 
They therefore had a special calling. And that calling, God had chosen them for a reason. He'd set them out, apart from all other nations of the world, for a, a very particular reason. And that reason was they would serve him with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind. And in serving him, they share their knowledge of him with all the nations of the world. They were to be his witnesses to all the heathen nations around the world that were to stand out as a shining beacon, as a testimony to the goodness, the grace, the mercy of Almighty God. And they were to stand up as a light shining in a dark place for all the world to see. And all the nations of the world would then be drawn to God by the nation of Israel as they worship God in sincerity, as they worship God in purity, as they worship God in wholeness, and their lives reflected the very character of God as they kept the Ten Commandments and the other laws of God and the rituals and, and, and all the, the, the things that were involved in their worship, as they continued to live as the Jews should have lived, the nation of the world would observe and be brought to God. That was God's plan for his people, for his chosen people. And yet they failed this responsibility. Therefore, they sinned against God. They didn't live up to their position. Right here, the ten northern tribes are living in wickedness. They've turned their back upon God. The southern kingdom is struggling to maintain its righteousness through good king and bad king, good king and bad king. And there's been a history since the moment they left the land of Egypt to this very day. The nation of Israel has struggled to maintain a testimony and a witness for God till finally they get to this point where now God says, well, I want you to know that I'm about to judge you for you sinned against your position. You only have I known of all the nations of the world. There is nobody like you. You are my special chosen people, but you have sinned against their position and against their great responsibility. And beloved, we have a special position as the children of God. And that position that you and I have as his children brings with it us great responsibility. You see, you and I are the children of God. We're joined heirs with Christ. You and I have been redeemed from the nations of the world. We've been redeemed from the Mankind, you and I have been set free from the bondage of sin. We've had our feet placed upon the solid rock. You and I have the indwelling Holy Spirit. You and I have been set forth as his children to be lights in a dark place, shining in this world for all to see, that they might see Christ in us, the hope of glory. God has set us apart. We have a unique position as his children. And with that position comes great responsibility. As 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 21, where Paul further uh, uh, emphasizes this fact, where he says that you and I have been given the ministry of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation, and the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that we are to preach in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled unto God. Why? Because you're ambassadors of Christ. You and I have been set forth as ambassadors of Almighty God 
to be witnesses in this world, and you and I are to take forth the message of reconciliation and preach with the ministry of reconciliation that all mankind might be reconciled to God. You and I have a, a God-ordained responsibility to be witnesses unto Him, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. We're to go into all the world and teach all nations. We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You and I are to evangelize the lost. We're called to be witnesses for Him. We're called to live for Him. And when you and I fail to live up to our position, when you and I fail to live up to our calling, then you and I sin against God. Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore, the prison of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of your vocation wherewith you're called. We're to walk worthy of the calling by which we're called. And you and I have been called to be witnesses. You and I have been called uh, by Almighty God to testify of Jesus Christ and the lost and dying world by our words, but more importantly, by our life. And when we don't, we fail and sin against God. Luke 12, 48 says, For unto whosoever much is given, of him shall much be required. God has given much to us. We've seen and testified in the Lord's table today what God did for us. He gave us his only begotten son who died upon the cross of Calvary that you and I might be saved. God gave his all for us and you and I therefore to give our all to him. We're to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God because this is our reasonable service. And we're to be witnesses for him. You see, with this great privilege that you and I have, there is great responsibility. In fact, the greater the privilege, the greater the responsibility. And the greater the responsibility, ultimately, the greater the judgment. In fact, that's what he says in Amos 3.2. He says, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. We're privileged for God's children. And as God's children, we're expected to live up to our position. God desires for us to be a witness, to live for God and to serve Him. And when we fail, then like Israel, we sin against position. Remember, we are by grace saved. And it's not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works that anyone should boast. But verse 10 goes and say, For we are His workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus, what? Unto good works. That we should walk in them. You and I have a great position, folks, in Christ. And therefore we need to live up to that position for his glory. Israel didn't. Israel were greatly privileged of God. They've been delivered from bondage, set free, given the land of Canaan, and all the blessings that go with it and yet they sinned against their position, and because they sinned against their position, the results of their sin, even though God knew them, secondly, God could not walk with them. God could not walk with them. He says in verse 3, Can two walk together except they be agreed? I mean, the answer is no. Two can't walk together unless they be agreed. So then the further question is, why do we try? Why do we try? 
Why do we try to walk where God won't walk? You know, what is it that we think that somehow it doesn't matter, that God will still walk where we're walking even though that's not where God is walking? You know, God's Word says, can two walk together except they be agreed? The answer is no. And the whole point here is about their relationship to God. If God is walking this way and you're walking and I are walking this way, then God's not walking with us. He's not going to come and follow us on our path. Now, don't get me wrong. He leaves us nor forsakes us. I understand that. We're talking about fellowship here. Okay, we're not talking about relationship. He is our Father. We can't lose our salvation. Once saved, we're always saved. And I know that He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And Pastor Kendall made this clear last Sunday. Okay, when He spelled out for us, you know, with Jonah and, and, and so on. Okay, there are times where we feel all alone. And the truth of the matter is there's an old saying that says, you know, if, if, if you and God are apart, guess who moved? Because the reality is that God's walking the walk. He's walking down this road and he wants you and I to walk with him. And when you and I walk in a different direction, we're not walking with him and God's not going to come and walk with us. We've got to go and walk with him. We won't fellowship with God. We have to walk where God is walking. And we can't think that just because we're not walking where he's walking, it doesn't matter. He won't walk where we're walking. He wants us to walk where he's walking. Now, to emphasize this, in verses 3 through 6, the Lord lists a, a series of six statements that have obvious answers. And it leads seven statements, which therefore has equally obvious answers. This is Hebrew poetry. Okay, Hebrew poetry does this. It'll say five things and yea, six. And the sixth one's the important one. There's, they're laying out the rules, you know, seven, six things God hates, yet death, seven are an abomination unto him. That's six, seven. six things God hates, seven are an abomination unto him. It's the seventh one that God wants you to, wants to em emphasize, okay? That's the same here. There's six statements that are obvious. The seventh statement is what he wants them to really get, understand that the seventh statement is equally as true as the first six statements. If they can say yes to the first six statements, they can't say anything but yes to the seventh statement. Notice what he says. Can two walk together except they be agreed in verse 3? Answer, no, they can't. Will the Orion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? No. Lions only roar when they're seeking prey or when they've got their prey. Will a young lion cry out of his den if he hath taken nothing? Once again, no. Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth? Where no gin is for him, the word gin there is snare. Where there's no snare. I mean, can a bird get snared when there is no snare to snare a bird? Well, the answer is no. Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? If you go and put a snare out to catch a rabbit or a bird, and you go and check your snare, and there is no rabbit or bird, are you going to take the snare up or are you going to leave it there? You're going to leave it there. Shall the trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid well of course not you blow a trumpet in the city in those days it means something's happening usually an invading army's arriving or some danger is pending all of these are true and you can see the nation of Israel saying yes yeah I, I get two walk together and read no they can't do that no 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 all of these things the statement's true then the seventh the end of verse six shall there be evil in a city and the Lord 
hath not done with its italics. Shall there be evil in the city and the Lord hath not done. Each of these six statements reinforce the final statement and that is that when judgment comes against the city of Israel, everybody will know that the Lord has done it. The Lord has done it. As equally true as these six statements are true, and the nation of Israel said, yes, they are true, this last statement is as true as that. When judgment finally falls upon the city, upon the nation, rather, of Israel, everybody will know that God has done it. Verse 7, Sure, the Lord will do nothing but reveal his secret unto his servants, the prophets. The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Everyone will know that God has spoken. Everyone will know that this is of the Lord. It won't be an accident. It won't be fate. It won't be bad luck. It will be the hand of the Lord. He will judge and everybody will know it, he says. Here God declares that he can no longer walk with Israel because they no longer are in agreement with him regarding where to meet or in which direction to walk because they're not walking where he's walking they're not walking in the same direction as he's walking he can't walk with them he wanted them to walk in his statutes and his judgments and his commandments they wanted to walk in the world and fulfill the lust thereof they wanted to mix the world and the wickedness of Egypt with their relationship to God and God says in this passage emphatically to Israel, I won't walk that road. You'll have to go it alone. Beloved, for us to walk with God and have fellowship with God, we must like to agree with God. We can't make up the rules as we go to suit ourselves. Some of us think that it doesn't matter that God will walk with us anyway. We must walk where God and his word would have us walk. If we want to walk with God, it's as simple as that. This includes every area of life. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Wherefore, therefore, eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. We've got to walk where God would have us walk. We have to walk in his word and walk in his truth and walk in his ordinances. We have to walk where God is walking. If you and I want to have fellowship with God, we have to walk where God walks. For if our actions don't agree with God, God won't walk with us. He just simply won't walk down that road. 2 Corinthians 6, turn there please. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 illustrates this for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 illustrates this for us in verses 14 to 17. It says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, what fellowship has righteousness and unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath the, he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. God has said, I will dwell with them, and walk with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, 
and touch not the unclean thing. Verses 14 to 17 illustrate us this very truth that the two walk together except that they agree. Here God tells us not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And that's not just the unsaved folks here. But it's those who don't believe the word of God. Believers who say that doesn't matter. God's word's this. They say it doesn't matter. And they want to go and do their own thing. God says we're not to be unequally yoked together with them. If we're to walk in agreement with God, there must be agreement with God. You can't disagree with God on something and expect God to be pleased with that. We can't disagree with God on some principles, some truth in His Word, and expect God to be pleased with that, and that somehow our fellowship is not affected by, our, by, by that very action. Now, once again, let me reiterate, we can't lose our salvation, and He will never leave us nor forsake us. But when it comes to fellowship, folks, if you and I are to have fellowship, with God, then we must walk where He walks. We must agree with God. There has to be agreement with God in order for us to walk with God. And if there's not, we can't walk with God. There can't be fellowship. And we're not to be unequally yoked together with those who do not believe God's word. And in order for there to be agreement, there has to be, first of all, fellowship. Verse 14 For what fellowship? hath righteousness with unrighteousness. The word fellowship means to have in common. How can we have fellowship with God and associate with that which is associated with unrighteousness? The answer is we can't. He talks about communion. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness? You know, the world and its practices, its philosophies, its music, its entertainments, and the character of God have nothing in common. They cannot coexist. God is pure. God is moral. God is holy. God is upright. There is no speck of darkness in him. Yet the world walks in darkness. In fact, the world lies in darkness. How can we have communion with this, with the works of darkness, and with God? We can't. Verse 15, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? The word concord here is the word symphony. How can it be possible for Christ and Satan to harmonize? Well, they can. They cannot form a duet. Yet the world is associated with Satan, and so can the world harmonize with Christ? No, of course not nor should we. And I want to say world, I mean worldly practices. I know you and I have got to live in the world and we've got to live in this world and there are things in this world that aren't sin in themselves. Okay? And so you and I have to do those things. You and I have to work. You and I have to eat. You and I have to sleep. You and I have to have a house to live in. You and I have to have chairs to sit on. You and I have cars to drive. I understand all that. So please understand when I talk about the world, I'm talking about the sinfulness of the world, the dark things of the world, the simple practice of this world. Okay? I mean, I'm not saying that all entertainment is wrong. I'm simply saying that which is wicked and sinful is wrong, okay? So please understand what I'm trying to get at here. And the truth of the matter is that Christ and the devil cannot harmonize. They cannot sing in symphony with each other. 
And you, as be, you and I as believers, we want to walk with God, cannot walk in this wicked world, in its worldly practices. Now, as he goes on, he talks about agreement. He says in, the, in verse 16, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? What agreement means to place down with. To have agreement with God and therefore sweet fellowship with Him, we cannot place Christ and the things of God alongside the things of the devil. And yet that's what some in Christianity would do today. Some would embrace the world and seek to be like the world in order to somehow reach the world. Yet God's word is clear. We are to be separate from sinners and not embrace their sin. Look at the end of verse 16. For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these precious uh, these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's what we're to do. We're to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. We're to touch not the unclean thing. And then he says he will be our God. And therefore, having all these precious promises, you and I are to walk away from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit and we're to perfect holiness in the fear of God. Because if you and I want to walk with God, then you and I need to walk where God walks. And that means we're not to be unequally yoked together with those who don't believe the word of God. Colossians 2.20 says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not. It's a good question, isn't it? If we're dead with Christ from the rudiments of this world, why then are we living in the world and are subject to its ordinances? Because what we should do is touch not, taste not, handle not that which is wicked. We cannot walk with God unless we agree with God. And when we don't agree with God, we sin like Israel against our privileged position in Christ. And two walk together except that they agreed, of course not. If we want to walk with God, we have to walk in righteousness. And walking with God is the only place of true happiness. It's the only place of true blessing. And the question for you and I today is, where are we walking? Let's never forget that we can't walk with him unless we agree with him. And let's not sin against our privilege or sin against our position like Israel did. Let's yield ourselves to his will and live for his glory. Let's live up to our privileged position and walk with God that he might get the glory. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for this challenge. Can two walk together except that they be agreed? 
Lord, help us not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But help us, Father God, to agree with you, to walk with you, and live up to our privileged position, Father God, as the sons of God. And may people see Christ now as the hope of glory because we're walking in your presence day by day. Challenge us, Father, by your word. May your word indeed have an impact upon us. May we leave rejoicing. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Amen.